Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. My name is Rebecca Whitman, and I'm a success mentor. I believe there are seven pillars of success. Your spiritual life, your physical fitness, your emotional, romantic, mental, social, and finally, your financial life. When you get all seven areas in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I learned this the hard way. I've always made money. Unfortunately, I spent so much time making money that I never had time for the rest of my life. So, despite not having financial worries, I was never happy. I wanted romance, but I didn't have time to date. I wanted to be in great shape, but I couldn't find a moment to go to the gym. I wanted a more spiritual life, but I didn't meditate. That also takes time. I wanted to read great books and fill my mind with deep thoughts, but I never made the time. I wanted a great social life, not just going to work-related events. Emotionally, I was a wreck because my life was totally out of balance. Today, I earn more money than I ever have in my life, and I work only part-time. I have the relationship of my dreams. I'm in the best physical shape of my life. I'm spiritually grounded. I feel fulfilled mentally, socially, and emotionally. My life is in perfect alignment. This podcast will help you discover where your life is out of balance. My mission is to support you in achieving work-life balance so that you can have more fun and freedom in life. On my show, you will get to learn from experts in all seven areas of abundance. My guests have achieved tremendous success in their zone of genius. Are you ready to go to a level 10 in all seven areas of life? You got this. Hello, it's my old friend, Dr. Ali Benazir. Nice to see you. Great to be here. Thank you, Rebecca. It's so exciting to have you on the podcast. I can't wait to tell my listeners about you. You are such an illustrious guest. You've had uh, such academic success with a magna cum laude from Harvard University, an MD from the University of California, San Diego and a Master's of Philosophy from Cambridge University. Wow, we're talking about academic gold right here. And you're also a certified clinical hypnotherapist, an NLP master practitioner, and there's more. You are an author of The Tao of Dating for Men, and I love this title, The Tao of Dating The Smart Woman's Guide to Being Absolutely Irresistible. Oh my God, what woman doesn't want to be absolutely irresistible? Why be partially irresistible when you can be absolutely irresistible? irresistible. And this book, The Tao of Dating for Women, The Smart Woman's Guide, was one of the highest rated dating apps on Amazon ever. It's true. It's true. A lot of women want to be absolutely irresistible. You found a good crowd of women. Yeah. All of them. (laughs) I I hope so. Absolutely. And then uh, he also has audio courses. His current project is called Happiness Engineering. And I love this. You're so good at titles. Redefining success in an age of anxiety, greed, and self-inflicted misery. That is so funny to me because I actually had 
a spiritual teacher once and mm -hmm. she made up business cards for me mm -hmm. and it said my name, Rebecca Whitman. And then in parentheses, it says manufacturer of her own misery. <laughs> well, that's not a therapist there, huh? Yeah. So that was like perfect. So I can relate to self-inflicted misery. Yeah. So let's talk about your books. Uh, most of your books start with the word Tao. Yes. So why is that important enough to be in all the titles of your audiobooks and actual books? Well, uh, the story goes back to when I was a 14-year-old working at a bookstore in Los Angeles. And I kept on coming across this book called The Tao of Pooh. I'm like, what is this? And why do, keep, why do people keep buying this? So this was a mystery for me for like six, seven years until I ended up in medical school. I'm browsing the UC San Diego Medical School bookstore, and there it is again. I'm like, you know what, damn it, I'm just going to find out. I'm just going to read this thing. So I, I read, I'm like, whoa, that is like profound. So that's the gateway drug, and from uh, Benjamin Haas, the Tao of Fu, you go to the Tao De Jing, which is the source material. And this was written 2,500 years ago by some dude. Uh, Lao Tzu just means old dude, like literally. So nobody knows who wrote it. But there it is, and you read it, and as soon as you read it, all this counterintuitive stuff comes at you like, huh? And it, it was profound. It got me really thinking about uh, how to have an operating system for life. And, you know, for example, Tao De Jing starts with uh, the sentence that says, uh, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The way that can be said is not the eternal way. Only the nameless is true and eternal. And you're like, huh. And you realize, yeah, as soon as you step outside, say, planet Earth, things just don't have names anymore. And if people attach names and and therefore you create meaning and everything flows from there. Or my favorite, which is chapter 36, it says, before you can shrink something, you must allow it to grow. Before you can get rid of something, you must allow it to flourish. Before you can take something, you must allow it to be given. This is the subtle understanding of the way things are. The slow overcomes the fast, the soft overcomes the hard. And you're like, what? What, what is going on here? And then you realize, okay, you've got rock and rock gets turned into sand by the softest thing in the world, which is water. And you have um, the slow can overcome the fast. It's like, you know, steady wins the race. And, uh, and before you can take something, you must allow it to be given. I realize that in the realm of dating and relationships, right? Let's say a guy wants a phone number, common thing that a guy wants, right? You can either say, hey, give me your phone number, or he can charm the lady and make her want to hang out with him such that she willingly gives the phone number, right? Or right. say a lady wants commitment from the guy. He, she can say, give me a ring or else, or she can make him feel so wonderful, make him feel like he's 50 feet tall such that he has nowhere else to go. It's like, oh my God, I want this woman, I want you. And he kneels and uh, proposes, proposes to her. So I'm like, all right, there's some profound shit going on here. and. Uh, that's why I kind of use the Tao Taoist philosophy and incorporate it into my Tao of dating books because it just made a lot of sense and there's so much less struggle involved and more uh, kind of going with the flow of things. So if you try to f uh, swim upstream a river, it's hard, but if you just go with the flow of the river, suddenly it's easy. So how do you find that grain in the wood of life? How do you find that flow the in the river of life such that you can go with it, not against it, and thereby... Uh, achieve fulfillment and happiness much more easily. I agree. It's so important just to stay in flow state and just let things 
organically evolve rather than forcing solutions. And it's and you're a doctor too, so you know how much easier that is on a cellular level. Because we're when you're stressed out and you're pushing your will in the world, whether in business, dating, networking, it creates cortisol, it creates stress in the body. Absolutely. And that leads to ultimately dis-ease in the body or disease. So your philosophy of going through life in the easier way, in the way of the Tao, it just affects everything on a much, it's just an easier way to go through life and you can get results. Like people in this high, it's like a high pressure society where it's like everything's instant, instant, you can, you know, push a button and get something delivered to your door the next day. It's, it's counterintuitive to say, to take the slow and steady route to your goals and dreams. Mm, totally. And, and that's the genesis of the whole happiness engineering program is the same thing. It's like, how can you set your life up such that happiness, thriving and fulfillment naturally flow towards it as opposed to keeping on forcing it? And also, it, if you orient your life towards something like, say, status, money and power, if you achieve it, you may still not get happiness and fulfillment. There's no guarantee that that brings you that. In fact, you know, uh, you and I both went to uh, high pressure colleges like Harvard and Princeton. And so these are people who are selected for their ability to achieve. And then they're trained further to achieve more. They go out in the world and they achieve, achieve, achieve. They get status, they get money, they get power. And, you know, I go to my reunions and some of these people aren't all that happy, even though they have success uh, nominally, the way that society has ordained what success should be. And so the question is, hey, um, if you get to that destination that you always thought you wanted to get to, and you're still not necessarily happy and healthy and thriving, does that really constitute success? And if, if not, then how can we re reconfigure our lives around worthy goals that actually lead to our flourishing and to the best giving of our gift to the world? So that's what happiness engineering and the five pillars of human thriving uh, are all about. So my favorite definition of success is by Abraham Hicks. Mm -hmm. And they say it's not the money or the stuff. It's absolutely the amount of joy you feel. Mm -hmm. So if you're the most joyous person at the reunion, in my opinion, you're the most successful. But what is your definition of success? Well, I've spent a lot of years thinking about this kind of thing and the Tao Te Ching and Buddhism and all that. And what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And I came up with something that makes sense for me, which is that uh, we've all been given certain talents as human beings and we all have a gift to give. And the point of our presence on this earth is to give that gift as fully as possible. Your Dharma. So, pardon me? Your Dharma is the gift that we were meant to give. Sure. I mean, some places, you know, you can call it Dharma if you want, but the idea is that here's this thing that you can do. Maybe you can sing really well. Maybe you can write really well. Maybe you're a great healer. Maybe you're a great uh, trainer. Maybe you are really good with kids. Whatever it is that you're really good at doing, that's your gift. That is your talent. That is the thing that you're here to do. And to me, success is the ability to give that gift as fully as possible, the full flourishing of the human spirit and and a lot of it has to do with creation so creation in contradistinction to consumption and so much of our society is oriented around consumption and you can't really help it because you have uh, these multi-billion dollar industries which are 
very determined to have us consume to support those industries. So you have to very deliberately uh, step outside of that and take a look and say, hey, what constitutes my fulfillment as opposed to uh, multi-billion corporate, multi-billion dollar corporations fulfillment? And so, you know, it's funny because uh, you mentioned one of the titles I used to have for the uh, happiness engineering, which is about, you know, uh, instead of greed and self-inflicted misery, let's do this. Uh, but what I've realized over the years is that it's almost like we don't have a choice. So I used to be very judgmental. It's like, hey, you've got a car, you've got a roof over your head, you've got a number of access to food, we're not on the savannah hunting down deer, and you're not happy. What is wrong with you? What is your problem, right? And I realized that the problem is that uh, our brains are not designed to make us happy. Our brains are designed to help us survive, particularly on the savannah you know, chasing down animals, having access to limited calories. And so uh, that brain is optimized for a certain kind of evolution, a certain kind of environment. And so, you know, when you saw berries or some high calorie food on Savannah, you basically gorge as much as you could because you just never know when the next time is you're going to have access to food, right? You may not be able to hunt for weeks. Um, whereas here, if you walk into Whole Foods and you gorge yourself on everything that's there, you know, chocolate, cupcakes, you know, berries, whatever, uh, then you end up with 60% overweight people, 34% obesity in the United States of America. So uh, it's hard. We're in this, we have this evolutionary mismatch such that the things that used to help us survive, those same programmers are there, but right now they're actually contributing to our misery. So happiness has to be an inside job. You have to actually put effort into it. Otherwise, it will not come naturally. I love the distinction you made about creativity versus consumption because Thank consumption you can you can have all the stuff in the world and you can be miserable but if you're creating from your heart from your gift you can be so happy whether you have the stuff or not so i want to hear more about these five pillars of happiness let's talk about them fantastic so the five pillars of human thriving as i call them are uh, pretty straightforward. Number one is robust relationships. So your entire life is built around relationships. It is the centerpiece of your happiness. And we'll get into each one of them a little bit more later. I'm just going to list them now. Number two is meaningful work uh, in contradistinction to meaningless work or busy work. Number three is sound sleep. Number four is mental fitness. And number five is physical fitness. Nice. And so shall we start with the relationships thing? Yeah. That was important. So, so the, the longest longitudinal study that's been done of human happiness is the Harvard Grant Study. And they studied members of the class of, I believe, 1929 to 1933, uh, of which John F. Kennedy and Norman Mailer were members. And some of these people are still alive. They're in their 90s and they're wow. still kicking around. And they found that the number one determinant of your long-term health and happiness and thriving is one thing and one thing only, and that is relationships. So happiness equals love, full stop, as George, as George Valence, the administrator of the uh, study, uh, likes to say. And uh, so this may seem obvious, but my observation is that in American society, Western achievement-oriented societies in particular, people tend to use their relationships to support their work. And that's an inversion of the natural order of things. It should be that your work supports your relationships. The relationships is the thing. So yeah. if there's a time when you uh, have to skip dinner with your family to finish a report, you know, you decide how you're going to go and hang out with your family instead of the report. Okay. So, and 
leaving friends behind, uh, not having time to talk to people, not having time, time to hang out. So how do we prioritize uh, relationships in our life? So first, of, first off, it's a mindset that, hey, this actually matters a lot to me, right? right. Uh, and then it's a series of actions, and you want to actually set aside time for friendship. So I recommend at least one meeting with a friend per week uh, such that you nurture that friendship, build it up, and actually have it. These days, the stats are pretty depressing. People have uh, one to zero confidants in their lives, like somebody to talk to on average. It used to be like seven. Now it's down to one or less. Uh, so, So build that up and you know, especially if you got time on your hands, give people a call uh, these days, you know, amidst, amidst the lockdown and stuff, uh, people may have more time on their hands for that kind of thing. Uh, and if you are in a relationship, what I recommend my top level uh, suggestion is to have this thing called a novelty night. So what I've noticed is that the number one issue with long-term relationships is taking one another for granted. Basically, Here's this person who used to be so exotic, so exciting. It's like, oh my God, I can't wait to be with you. And after a few years, they're an old shoe. And it's like, oh, you again, right? So what you want to do is you want to actually reconfigure the circuits in your brain such that you can see this person in a new light again. Because it's totally normal. This is what we do. You buy the car, you're super excited. And you know, after a few months of riding it, you're like, oh yeah, there's my Aston Martin, whatever, right? It wasn't whatever when you got, you were super excited. So the way you make your partner exciting is you put them in the context of novel activities. So novelty night is when you uh, have a date night, when you do something new. So whether it's like a cooking class or going to learn painting or going on a new hike, whatever it is, you do something, you know, you try something new in bed. I don't care what it is, but have some novelty in there because novelty produces dopamine in your brain and dopamine is the chemical for pleasure, novelty, anticipation, a bunch of things, but it recontextualizes the old shoe in the, in this new environment of novelty. So it's like, oh, wow, this person seems new to me. And you discover new things about one another. So uh, this may sound super contrived, but guess, guess what? The things that work in your life, you do them in contrived ways. You don't stay fit by not working out regularly, right? You gotcha. don't keep a job by not showing up at the job regularly and doing your thing. So this is your relationship. This is your primary love relationship. This is the most important thing in your life. Why not spend at least that much time attending to it? So this would involve actually sitting down and coming up with a list of new things to do. And it doesn't take that long. And you can have new hikes. You can have new dishes you cook together. You can do any number of new things. We live in this society, which is just rife with novelty and things you can do. We're just hyper affluent so lucky. So you can put that to use. So novelty night, novelty night, not date night. Cause if you have the same date night once a week, that can get kind of boring. Novelty, exactly. Novelty so, Love it. and, 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 you know, I totally recognize that it's work and hell yeah, it should be work because you're exercising, you're expanding, you are not just maintaining the relationship. You're doing your best to make it even better. So, yeah. so that's number one relationship. So, um, shall we, shall we go to number two, yeah. uh, meaningful work? Okay. So, so there, by, by one poll, 81% of Americans said that their work wasn't necessarily all that meaningful to them. So they go to work, they get a paycheck, and they kind of put up with it so they can pay the bills. Uh, but really, that deep fulfillment, that giving of the gift may not be there. So uh, I have two suggestions uh, for people who may or may not be in this situation. So, so first of all, 
there's two kinds of job in this world. So one job is, one is that you are fulfilling your dreams and the other is that you are fulfilling somebody else's dreams. So yes. when you're fulfilling somebody else's dream, that's called a job. So uh, I really like the story about the three bricklayers, right? This guy comes to this construction site and sees these three guys laying bricks and asks the first person, hey, what are you doing? First guy says, there's a look I'm doing, I'm laying bricks. So he's like, oh, fine, okay. Second guy asks him, what are you doing? He says, oh, wow, we're building this church. It's going to be great. The guy's like, all right, cool. Asks the third guy, what are you doing? And he says, I am building a house of worship so generations from now can come and access uh, their higher self. Nice. All right. So, so the first guy had a job, the second guy had a career, and the third guy had a calling. So you can do this thing called job crafting, which is you can – Mentally, we can figure what you're doing and say, hey, how can I turn this into a career or elite or a calling, right? And how can this be truly deeply meaningful to me? You can find people to mentor because the two things I've found that actually make jobs, uh, make work really fulfilling are uh, meaning and service. So if you're mentoring somebody who's younger than you, boy, that adds that dimension of service is great. And also just go and hook up with some uh, charity organization or service organization and do that. The sweet spot for that is about 10 hours a month so that will give you that little boost that's going to make your work seem more meaningful to you but uh what you don't want to do is just sit there and take it right mm -hmm. and and also encourage you to think in the long term so say you've always had a dream of i don't know uh selling shirts or something or or making straw hats or or designing a new nuclear reactor whatever it is your dream was right so right now in the situation you're in you may not be able to just quit and up and leave and leave your family in the lurch or not be able to pay your bills but if you plan for it right a year or three from now it may very well be feasible if you plan it such that you can be your own boss and self-employment is a very powerful thing you are self-employed i'm self-employed and the downside is you can't ever blame anybody, but the upside is you get to be the master of your own destiny and to build something and to give your gift and to create. So um, realize that wherever you are, it's it doesn't have to be forever. So reconfigure your mind and realize that, hey, if you want to be your own boss, you can do that. You can do something much more meaningful in about a year or two. Uh, in the meantime, you can job craft and change the way you think about what you do or add elements of service and and uh, me. I love that. 10 hours of service a week or start your side. Uh, 10 hours a month. Oh, a month. I was like, that's yeah. a lot. 10 hours a month of, yeah. of service and you can start your side hustle. You, you can start your wait. side hustle. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the other thing. It's like people think that all oh, the great entrepreneurs of the world just like threw caution to the wind and jumped in there. And eh, that is not what happens. If you look at the research, most of the successful entrepreneurs in the world they maintained their regular job and they minimized risk and they took a calculated risk on the side with a side hustle. And then when they saw that that was viable, then they abandoned the main job. So I don't know if you've read Shoe Dog, uh, which is a story of the founder of Nike, Phil Knight, but that's exactly what he did. He was a, uh, he was a professor in night school. And then his dad said, look, I'll let you do this and I'll help you out if you are uh, willing to maintain your job while you build the other thing. So, and he's not the only person who's done that. The stories of stories like that are legion. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that about Nike. That is so cool. Yeah, people yeah. think it's all or nothing and that's why so many people are scared to be an entrepreneur, but you can have the security of a job, keep your family fed, pay your bills while pursuing your entrepreneurial dream.
Totally. And it just makes a lot of sense. And, you know, great entrepreneurs, they hedge. They're always uh, minimizing risk. They're taking calculated risks. It's not about, woo, throw caution <laughs> in the wind and, and uh, I'm just going to bet the farm on this thing. So, right. uh, and that makes it easier for people to wrap their heads around the idea of starting a new business. Yes. So let's talk, uh, are we down, let's go to number three. Number three is very important. One of my favorite topics, sleep. Okay, so <laughs> uh, so I I was I have been in a cohort of people who all their lives were like ah I'll sleep when I'm dead. They think that sleep is optional. They think it's just like this bottomless account they can withdraw from with no penalty, and that is not how it works. Okay, so you lose sleep, that's it, it's gone. Okay, and you think you're gonna sleep five hours a week until the weekend, you're gonna make up for it. Well, guess what? Five times two, that's ten. So what, you're going to sleep until 3 p.m. on Saturday and make up for it? I don't think so. And then do that again on Sunday? I don't think so. So what you want to do is you want to have good sleep hygiene and you want to prioritize sleep. So I put sleep in the middle. It's number three out of five because it's like it's like the, the wedge, the little um, stone in the middle of an arch, right? The arch stone, I think they call it. So this is the thing that holds everything together. It is not optional. If you don't sleep right, your metabolism goes to crap. Uh, your mental, co your cognitive abilities go to go to hell. Everything falls apart. So um, what you want to do is you want to make sleep, sleep sacred and to uh, practice really good sleep hygiene, which, which means no coffee after 3 p.m. because ca caffeine has a, a half-life of six hours. So mm. half of the caffeine that you had at 3 p.m. is still in your blood at 9 p.m. It's going to kill your sleep. So no caffeine after 3 p.m., uh, no alcohol two hours before bedtime. Uh, keep your bedroom cool, preferably under 70. So like 65 is, is good, 65 degrees, 60, 60 65. Uh, you want to only use your bed uh, for uh, sex and sleeping, no other thing. So you don't take your report and you do it in bed because now your bed is associated with being alert and awake. Right. And that's not what you want. And uh, you also want to keep devices out of the bedroom to, as much as possible. So don't take them into your bed. Put them outside the bedroom if you can. And definitely don't look at them right before you go to bed because it'll just be wired and there's blue light in there that's waking your brain up. So uh, keep all that stuff all that stuff out and just really tune down and go into sleep and set aside the seven, eight, nine hours, however many that you need, and make that sacred because uh, your immune system will thank you. This is where memories are consolidated. This is where learning happens. This is the absolute cornerstone of your existence as a healthy, functional human being. And if you are in a line of work that is really altering your sleep, so you're a consultant and you're constantly crossing time zones, or you're a doctor and you have to get up at 4 a.m. to do rounds at 6, you know what? It's time to reconsider. You got to do something about this. So one of the examples I use is this there's this great doctor here in Los Angeles and he's a total hotshot and he has an appointment at this major hospital and this major university over here. He has another job as the doctor to a professional sports team. I mean, the guy's doing really good, right? At the same time, his wife just gave birth and he wants to spend time with his kid. So this guy has been getting five hours of sleep for years. And you know what? He's completely wrecked. So if that is what success is, if it involves destroying your body, then that's not really success, is it? So uh, let's make sure the first things get taken care of first and sleep is sacrosanct. And to all the men, I say, go get a sleep study. 24% of men have 
sleep apnea and they don't know it. And sleep apnea is contributing to about 55,000 accidents on the road per year because people fall asleep behind the wheel. I was very nearly one of them. So I got fixed about five years ago. I finally went, got a sleep study, got diagnosed, got a machine. It's called a CPAP, Continuous Positive Airway Pressure Machine, and it is life altering. So if there's one piece of advice I always give in my happiness engineering talks is to go get a sleep study. You have no idea what the quality and quantity of your sleep is currently. So we need to figure what that what that is. If you have a sleep disorder, to find out what that is. And if you don't have one, thank thank you know thank the Lord and and uh, keep that baseline so you can compare it later on. Now a lot of overachievers say I don't want to waste my time sleeping because, mm. like you said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, these are hours in the day that I could be creating and networking and making money and. I'll just drink like an extra three cups of coffee and I'll just power through it. So what yeah. do you say to them where they think that, you know, sleeping in excess of six hours is just wasting time in their day? Let me see if I can find a good metaphor here. Um, that's like burning $100 bills in your fireplace to keep you warm. It oh, is wow. not efficient. Yeah. It is not prudent and it is not sustainable. So uh, you're basically using up your body in a way that it wasn't designed to do. And, and eventually the quality of whatever you're doing is going to go down. And, you know, maybe you don't want to live past 55. I don't know. But if you do, then this is definitely not sustainable. And, and the sleep apnea thing and the drowsy, daytime drowsiness thing is no joke. I mean, I have had many, many close calls in my life when I'm driving down the 405, bright daylight in my face, 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and I'm almost hitting the middle uh, middle median barrier because I'm falling asleep behind the wheel. So how many times does that happen to shorten your life expectancy of that a whole bunch of people around you? So uh, if you are, in fact, short sleeping chronically, you are a danger to yourself and a menace to society. So stop doing that. Yeah, get some sleep. All right, let's move on. What's the next uh, area of, of Number four, yeah. Number four is uh, what I call mental fitness. And for years, I've been harping on about uh, meditation. Hey, people should meditate. But that never really sat well with me. It was like, oh, I'm just not a meditator. So I just put it this way. It's like, yo, let's say you want your body to be fit, not flabby. What do you do for your body to be fit? And people say exercise pretty straightforward right there's a no-brainer for you okay so do you want your mind to be fit or flabby most people would say mm, fit <laughs> and what do you do to make your mind fit and the answer to that is you meditate so meditation is the analog to exercise for your brain for your mind and the reason is that look you've got this thing which is the most complex piece of machinery in the entire cosmos it's been dropped into your cranium without an instruction manual. This is a very bad joke that uh, creation has played on us, but there it is. You have this thing, it's amazing, you don't know how to run it. So meditation is how you learn to run your own mind. Otherwise, it's going all over the place. You know, you're, you're walking down the street, you're having 10,000 different kinds of thoughts. You know, somebody from behind looks like you're actually like, oh, shit, suddenly you're feeling all these feelings. Um, oh, my God, deadline this, do that, do that as opposed to just walking down the street and enjoying the day. Um, and the ability to focus is probably, probably the number one skill of adulthood. And when you meditate, when you practice focus meditation, that's what you're cultivating. You're cultivating the ability to focus. 
and to be able to direct your mind where it wants to go as opposed to, sorry, direct your mind where you want it to go as opposed to where it wants to go. So uh, that's why I recommend that people take up a meditation practice. And can we do a one minute meditation here? I mean, I feel like this is the time for people to learn how to do it. Yeah, teach us. If, what is, how not, is your practice? If, if not now, then when? So the practice that I've been using for about 20 years is called the Humsa meditation. And okay. it comes from various practices, Buddhist practices, tantric practices. Everybody's got it. It's great and it's really simple and it involves three things. So you take a deep breath and close your eyes. Hmm. The first thing you do is you focus on the sensation of air coming through your nostrils. Just like that. Feel it coming in, feel it going out. And then the second thing that you do is on the inhalation, you say silently, hum. And on the exhalation, you silently say, saw. Don't worry about what they mean. It's just something to focus on. And then finally, the third thing is you take your eyes as they're closed and you look up. Look up behind your forehead at the space in between your eyebrows. So three things. Pay attention to the breath and feel it. Number two is hum on the inhale, saw on the exhale. And the third is look up. And you may notice that as you do these three things, it becomes impossible to have any thoughts. Go ahead, try. Try to think if you do all, if you, when you're doing all those three things. And you really can't have any thoughts. So while you're doing this, if you are having thoughts, it's because you forgot to do one of the three things. So just go right back to center. Go right back to feel the breath, say the mantra, hum, saw, and look up. As you do that, your brain will feel different. So I'm going to shut up now for a minute, and we're just going to do that. Feeling the breath as it comes in. And exhale. Saying hum on the inhale, quietly. And saw on the exhale, quietly. And flipping your eyes up. So you're looking at the space between your eyebrows. Up at your forehead. Thirty more seconds. And five, four, three, two, one. Open your eyes and and notice how that just changes the quality of your being, just the way your head feels, the way your body feels like, oh, wow, okay. And, and the power of meditation is that, look, while you were doing that for the past two minutes, the world was raging outside with all its wars and famines and diseases and countries invading one another and economic crises and whatnot. But up here, there was no crisis. There was no war. There was no famine. So Meditation gives you the ability to think and feel independently of circumstance. And that is a superpower because there's always weird stuff happening out there. So if you can create your own little sphere of peace and quiet and focus right here, guess what? You can do anything. 
So this is a uh, this is a superpower, a major adult skill, and I encourage everybody to start out today. If you if you're already doing it, fantastic. If you're not, start with just two minutes like that, and then add a minute every week. Before you know it, you're doing 20 minutes a day. This is a game changer. So that is your recommendation: 20 minutes once a day, or 20 minutes twice a day. Well, I recommend that people do what they will actually end up doing. So if they've never done it before, start with two minutes and mm -hmm. add a minute every day or every week, whatever works for you, right? If you add a day, then by the second day, you're on three, then four, then five, then very quickly, you'll get to 20. So 20, I believe, is the minimal effective dose. Any amount is great. Any amount is greater than, is better than nothing. But 20 is pretty good, pretty solid. I did 20 for about 15 years. I recently started doing 30. And... Uh, and look, I am not the kind of person who has an easy time sitting still. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. And, and when I'm doing this, I'm having hundreds of thoughts coming through and meditation is not the absence of thought. The med meditation is the practice of learning to dismiss those thoughts. So you have the thought come through, say, thank you, thought, come right back to center, the hum saw feeling of the breath, looking up, you do that. Boom. You learn how to dismiss thoughts. And so in real life, Thoughts come at you as they, if they are like trying to mug you, their assailants, right? And boom, you just dismiss them. It's like, oh, look, thoughts gone. You are not your thoughts. You're like a TV screen, right? The TV is not Downton Abbey. The TV is not, right. you know, the voice. The TV is not uh, whatever is showing on. The TV is just the TV screen, right? So the thoughts come on the TV screen of your mind and they're gone. So identify with the TV screen, not with the programming, and you'll just be a much, much happier, much solid person. Now, I've taken a lot of meditation classes. I've never heard looking up with your eyes. That is yeah. a totally new technique. So you try to look up, your eyes are closed. You try to look up the whole time or just periodically, or you try to maintain that. I, I keep it, I keep it up. And if you just right. do that, you will, if you just close your eyes and look up, you'll notice something happens. There's a qualitative shift in the feeling of your head. And mm -hmm. uh, if you do an EEG pattern, so electroencephalogram, uh, brain activity, brain electrical activity, activity, just doing that is enough to put your brain in alpha state, which is a more relaxed and focused state. So the combination of flipping your eyes up and going to alpha plus the focus just makes it a much more robust practice. Uh, obviously any part of this is optional, but the more of, the, of it that you do, uh, the more benefit you get. So this works for me and people can do whatever works for them. I love it. I'm learning a lot. So let's move on to the fifth area of happiness. Oh my God. Number five. Number five is physical fitness. So we're in Los Angeles. So people are right, rightly attentive to this. However, not everybody is. And sometimes you're like, oh, you know, I know I was busy. I had a deadline. I couldn't get to it. So here's the deal. If exercise were a pill, every doctor in the universe would be prescribing it. So there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that will elevate your mood more reliably and more and quickly than exercise. So you go, you move, suddenly you're happier, right? Exercise has been proven to work at least as well, if not better than pills and therapy when it comes to depression. So exercise is your friend. And exercise is also the only thing in the universe that's improved to make you smarter. So they've tested all these different supplements. Nothing actually increases your fluid intelligence except for aerobic exercise. So don't even do it to be fit. Go to get smarter. I don't care why I do it. Just do it. But here's the key thing. Do it. So doing it is the thing. So what is the thing that you will do regularly? What is the thing that you can fit into your schedule? So uh, my whole happiness engineering program is all about behavioral change. How can I get people to incorporate something new into their lives? So 
what I found works for me is I meditate in the morning. If I postpone it, even though I'm self-employed and I have the entire data program, just with nobody else to do it for me, right? I can do whatever I want all day long. I forget to meditate. So I do in the morning, it is done, and it sets up my entire day for success. Um, exercise is the same thing. If I do in the morning, boom, it is done. Sometimes I do in the evening. But for me, what works is, A, having a set time, and two, classes. So I go to classes where I know there's going to be people I know. Also, I have to show up at a certain time. And then I know it's done in 45 or 50 minutes. So having a regimen is the most important part. Any kind of exercise is fine. Aerobic exercise is good. And if you don't have access to a gym, fast walking gets you 95% of the way there. But there's also online apps. There's this app called Freeletics. There's the seven-minute workout by uh, Johnson & Johnson. And these are all free resources. So uh, really, there's very few excuses to not exercise, except for not having the habit built in. So just put on autopilot. Just set up a time. Say, this is what I'm going to do it. And do it, if you can do it every day, fan-fucking-tastic. If you can't, every other day is great. So three to four times a week is like a good dose. Uh, I mean, ideally, you do 40 minutes of aerobic exercise per day. But for most people, that's pretty daunting. But it turns out that even 10 minutes a day makes a big difference. And the biggest bang for your buck that I found is this thing called high-intensity interval training. I love that. that. Means yeah, that stuff is great. And I've been doing uh, high-intensity interval training classes for a long time, but you don't need a class. So all you have to do is run all out, like 90, 95, 90 to 100% for a minute, take a minute or two off, and do it again. If you do that for five cycles, that just took you 10 minutes, and you've done a workout that invigorates your entire body. 10 minutes, right? But it's a whole, it's that contrast between the push and then the rest. Push, rest, and you do that for a few cycles. And the results you get are phenomenal. The, the, the science is very convincing. I love it. So I talked to you about uh, what's happening in the world with the coronavirus, and we're not focusing on it, but it would be inappropriate not to at least touch on it because this is what's happening right now. We are actually in quarantine. So how can people uh, soothe their anxiety or even, I dare say, be happy during an international pandemic like what we're going through? Yeah, so I, I've been rereading this book that I reread at least once a year. It's called When Things Fall Apart, uh, Heart Advice for Difficult Times by Pema Chodron. And, and here's the thing. Uh, there is never a time when things are not falling apart. There is never a time that aren't trying times. I mean, there's always something going on. And that's the thing to recognize. It's just like, look, this particular configuration of things right now may seem harder than usual, but really there's never a time when things are like super insanely easy and there are no problems in the world. So it is mostly a matter of focus. So you may choose to focus on the fact that, oh no, there's a war raging out there and there are bugs trying to get me, right? But there's always been bugs trying to get you. Every day, there are millions of things trying to kill you. And guess what? You have survived so far and they haven't killed you. So triumph. So we can celebrate that triumph. We can celebrate the fact that your immune system has been working so far and is still working right now. You can focus on the fact that you have food, you have roof over, a roof over your head, you have friends you can contact. So there's a lot that we can be grateful for. So gratitude is all about appreciating what there is as opposed to bemoaning what there is not. What is not is always infinite. You can always say, where's my yacht? If you have a yacht, you can say, where's my super yacht, right? 
And that does not necessarily get you to happiness and thriving and fulfillment. So the goal here, once again, is to get you to be the best version of you that can give your gift to the world. So how do we empower that? We empower that with gratitude and being present. And you got time on your hands? Look, this could be an extraordinary opportunity to start that meditation practice you've always wanted to have, but never got around to doing. Well, guess what? Do you have 10 minutes a day now to start a meditation practice? I think you do. Do you have time to start that exercise practice? Maybe you do. Do you have time to reconsider that job that, hey, maybe you even got laid off of that job, which you didn't really enjoy anyway? Oh my God, time for a new career. So the point is, this could be an ex extraordinary opportunity for renewal. And look, here's another thing. People are afraid that this bug is going to get them and they're going to die. Well, guess what? You are going to die anyway. Okay, so death is this ever-present thing. It's just that the deadline seems to have been scrunched up a little much closer. And now it's a lot more real. Well, guess what? This is actually the key to your happiness. So the Bhutanese apparently are some of the happiest people in the world because they contemplate their own death five times a day. So you're like, oh, wow, okay, if I'm going to die anyway, how can I be the best version of me today? So who are you going to call? Who are you going to reconnect to? How are you going to contribute? How are you going to make other people happy? And there's just so many ways of reconfiguring this as an enormous opportunity. Now, uh, of course, if you are one of the people who has gotten sick, is not doing well, um, well, okay, here's the situation. Again, time to practice mindfulness, time to fully be in there with a sharp you know, like Pema Chodron says, it's like uh, the key to, to happiness and resilience in life is to lean into the sharp points. Like anytime you're uncomfortable, instead of running away from it, you're like, okay, I am meeting this and feel the thing fully. And in the end, we're all going to die. So uh, lean into that sharp point of death, of, of mortality, because once you overcome that fear of death, that's the underlying fear to everything else. Death of your job, your relationships. Uh, your car, whatever it is, your cat. And so once you reconcile yourself deeply with death, then things get a lot easier. And instead of anxiety, you can start to live, right? And the other suggestion I have is a very practical one, which is to set aside worry time. So say for 30 to 60 minutes a day, I am going to go on a worry binge. I'm going to look at every single website. I'm going to go to Google News. I'm going to go to CNN. I'm going to BBC. I'm going to go to uh, you know my, my Facebook feed. I'm going to wig the crap out of it. And then I'm going to be done. Then for the remaining 23 hours a day, you're good, right? Just, I wouldn't start the day that way just because it sets a tone, but say like three to four, this is what I'm going to do. Get out of your system, maybe even cry, maybe even panic, and then go, woohoo, okay, I'm done with my worrying thing. And I bet you if you do that for three or four days, eventually you'll stop looking at the news so compulsively. And don't do it right before you fall asleep either. Then yeah, I don't recommend that program your subconscious in bad ways. Yeah. yeah, meditate first, exercise first, and then, you know, at a certain point, if you must binge, go for it. Uh, but limit it. If, you, if you're constantly going into these addictive apps like uh, Apple News or um, Twitter or uh, Instagram, that's, you know, to me, depression is not the opposite of happiness. Compulsion is. So, you must deliberately decide to pull yourself away from your compulsions. Get rid of those apps entirely. Limit your consumption to 30 to 60 minutes a day and then live for the remaining time. Nobody has stopped you from living. You can still do that. You can still create. You can still contribute. This has been so incredible. I could talk to you all day. You're so wise in so many areas of life. 
but we are going to wrap it up. So how do my listeners stay in touch with you? Yeah, you can write me at Allie at happinessengineering.com. That will get to me. And please go to happinessengineering.com. Check out what's there. Uh, sign up for the course release. So um, I'm accepting applications for people who want to be in the first cohort of the happiness engineering course. It's going to be a three-month to six-month course uh, where we actually work on all of these principles and incorporate uh, the transformative principles into your life. So it's, of course, about literally changing your life. So if you are interested in doing that, uh, then uh, we're going to put the link in the show notes for where you can apply and come check it out and see if it's uh, right for you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's so great to see you and to have this conversation. And I know you'll be happy during the quarantine because you're the happiness engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Rebecca. It was great. To I see appreciate you. the vote of confidence. Of course. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you very soon. Thanks again for coming on. The Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. We'll talk to you soon, everyone. Bye. Who says you can't have it all? I'm proof that you can. You just have to put your life into balance. Too much of anything, money, fitness, socializing, can overtake your life. When all seven aspects of your life work in harmony, you will achieve the balanced, beautiful, and abundant life you've always dreamed of. Please subscribe to hear more inspiring interviews. Is there someone you know who could benefit from this podcast? Please share this podcast with them. Please review this podcast. Your feedback will help me target your needs and plan for upcoming shows that answer your questions and feature guest speakers that can make a big difference in your life. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rebecca E. Whitman. Feel free to DM me to book a free balance assessment call. And don't forget, stay balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Like it's cold,